all carry unique histories and unseen feelings that, if acknowledged, might help us to bridge our differences. Welcome to Sidewalk Ghosts with Richard Radstone, short, open-hearted stories that reveal the wisdom and vulnerabilities of unique strangers and confirm just how much our individual influence has upon the world we share. When I was a little kid, I absolutely believed in God and walked and talked with God, prayed. I just, there was no doubt in my mind. My parents started to have problems with their marriage and I thought my job was to be the best kid possible so I could fix my dad so he would love my mom more. And so I became a people pleaser. And by the time I was 13, I felt like I had failed. And my parents' marriage started to fall apart once again. And my whole world went gray for a couple of years. And then I started to fill it with things that were decidedly not God. Um, with alcohol, which produced a somewhat godlike effect initially. And then with drugs, and I ended up going down the wrong road to the point where I ended up in state prison at the age of 17. And I thought I had failed at life. And if there is a God, he, he had to be surely uh, completely pissed at me. <laughs> and so I, for 10 years of my life, between about 14 to 24, I actively disbelieved in God. But fortunately, God didn't stop believing in me. And after spending five plus years in prison, I, I had my first real God moment since I was a youth, since I was a kid, really. And I realized that God was there in a very real way. And I recognized, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, and I'm a convict. I wear a number on my chest. And God, every time I've tried to follow you, I've messed it up. I couldn't fix my parents. And look at me, I've ended up becoming a liar, cheat, and thief. I'm in prison. And I said, okay, God, you get to lead now. And that was the beginning of my journey into finding out who I was and what mattered. But it was, it was all in an attempt to fill the God hole inside of me. Just like you and I, he was birthed into the world, an infant child subject to the vastness of the influences around him, just like you and I. And as he grew, his agency to choose the whys, the hows, and the results of his actions, even his connection to his God ebbed and flowed as he formed both his history as well as the person he is becoming. And once again, just like you and I. And as today's stranger now friend, a most unassuming being by the name of Mark speaks of what he labels as the God hole, he opens a deeper window of his walk toward a life-changing presence. I ended up living on the streets and I committed a robbery. And this was one of the defining moments of my life because I said I was never going to hurt someone. I was committing check thefts and identity fraud and, and I was shoplifting to pay for my addiction, but it wasn't enough. And so I borrowed a gun. And the lie I told myself was that I'm not going to hurt this person. It's a store, so their insurance will cover the money. He's not losing anything personally. And so 
I went in there and I just said, sorry, I have to do this, but I need your money. And I didn't even pull the gun out. I just held, held it in my parka. You know, I had a hoodie on and uh, dark glasses. It was the middle of winter. It was December and it was at night. And so the guy, re he gave me a handful of cash and I put it in my pocket and I ran and I hid in some bushes um, a couple blocks away because the police cars were all going by. And in those bushes, I was going through withdrawal, but I knew no one would find me because I was in the middle of a, it was actually a huge clump of pine bushes. And I was in dark clothing and people simply couldn't see me. But there was one who saw me and that was God. And God said, time out. You know that victimless crime that you thought you just committed? Here's what really happened. And it was replayed in my mind's eye in high definition, slow motion detail. And I saw that this wasn't some nameless clerk. This guy, I saw his face. And he was a guy in his 40s. And then I saw fear in his eye. And I saw his hand start to shake as he reached for the cash register. I hadn't noticed any of this initially. And then I heard what I didn't hear when I was in there, but I heard it so clearly. He said, please don't hurt me. I've got kids at home. And I realized what I had done, what a phony and a fraud and an absolute hypocrite I was. And I became judge, jury, and executioner in the snap of a finger because I knew I did not deserve to live on justice's terms alone. And I've never used a gun, but I figured out in those bushes how to get the safety off and get a bullet into the chamber. And I still remember what it tasted like as I literally pulled that trigger and it came down about halfway and the whole world went silent. And I heard these words, I'm still here. And I said, how can you be? Look at what I've done. And this wasn't one of those warm, fuzzy, come to Jesus moments. It was a moment of awful truth. But I knew that God was there. And finally I said, well, what do I do? And he said, start by being honest, take my hand, I'll show you a better way. And I was frozen. I don't know how long I stayed in those bushes, but time had literally stopped for me. But finally, I said, okay. And I put the gun down, and I walked out of the bushes, and there were some policemen down on the corner, and I walked up to them, and I threw my hands up, and I said, I'm the one you're looking for. I committed that robbery. And a couple hours later, at my initial hearing, I pled guilty to a five-to-life armed robbery charge because that was being honest. That was exactly what I had done. The judge even told me I didn't even need to plead, but I said, no, Your Honor, I, I've got to be honest. And within a month or two, I was in the state prison. I was through all the withdrawals and a couple months after that, I was starting to feel better. You know, we were locked down in our cells almost the entire time, but I had started praying again. I started to read 
the scriptures again. I started to do push-ups in my cell. And uh, I remember having this conversation with God. It was one of the more sincere prayers I've ever had. And I said, Heavenly Father, I know you're there and I know that you literally saved my life. And you said you'd show me a better way, but how could there be a better way? I know that Jesus is real. I can testify that he is the Christ. I can quote scriptures out of the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Talmud, the Bhagavad Gita. I even knew a um, passage in the, the Hindu holy book. I can quote Einstein and Gandhi and Lincoln, and these are all my heroes. But I don't know how to stay clean and sober. And then I heard God again whisper to me, you know what, those are your truths. He affirmed those were my truths. But you know those 12 steps you never thought were for you? You might want to reevaluate. And I can be honest now. I started to argue with God. I said, well, those 12 steps are just a watered-down version of all the truths that I know. Now, they're for the people in the soup kitchens and the crack alleys and under the viaducts. And, and, and he goes, oh, and where are you? And I go, oh, crud, I'm in a seven by nine prison cell with a, with a toilet and a stinky roommate. <laughs> and he goes, okay, oh, you got me, God. I, could, I said, okay, I'll try the 12 steps. I'm lost right now. At first meeting Mark, you would never imagine him as a felon or a man anywhere close to harming another or stripping them of their agency or dignity. Definitely not a man who would commit a gunpoint crime or a man who would point the barrel at himself. Yet as he reveals a dark recollection of a broken and truth-filled low, of the taste of a pulled trigger, a stopped hammer, and an affirming whisper that arose from beyond himself. Perhaps he is exposing a peace-giving gift, a companion who, living far beyond the pains and addictions that were controlling him, inspires us to a very private and personal consideration. That being, is there a higher guardian who can carry us through our unique temptations, our weaknesses, and our trials? Better yet, are we ever truly alone unlovable, or at worse, unworthy to be alive. And as we think of Mark, shall we exercise the greatest of our temporal powers, the grace of forgiveness. Hold him close as we accept the restitution he has paid and the society-serving person he now lives forward. A price received for his sins atoned, that as we carefully take in his words, view the salt in his eyes, and applaud the 12 steps he speaks of, might we all chime into his counsel as needed. To quote, Okay, God, you've got me. I'm lost right now. There's a saying in AA that says, until the pain of the problem becomes great enough, uh, you won't seek the pain of the solution. And I think God sometimes preserves you know, he preserves fools and drunkards and ignorant people, but people that are in the abyss, he still somehow sustains them, whether they are aware of it or not, because they're still precious to God, right? And if so, 
then God will bring them to a place where there's a moment of decision. And sometimes we can do that with our conscious mind. Sometimes it can be the, the circumstances around us. All of a sudden, we sometimes I've seen people, I've seen a guy get cornered in prison one time. And this guy was as, as uh, gone and lost as anyone has ever been. Um, he looked like he was a person almost without a soul. It's just a little scrawny younger guy and scared to death. And then I saw him cornered by some guys who were uh, threatening to rape and kill him. And I thought, oh, he's a goner. And the next thing I hear this scrapping sound and yelling, and this kid is fighting. He's fighting off these guys that are coming to attack him. And I don't know that he even landed hardly a punch, but he caused enough of an uproar that eventually they dispersed because, you know, bullies don't like to be found out and the cops would have, the guards would have found them. So anyway, and I didn't see what else because, you know, it was on a movement. You only have a few a few moments to go between block to block. The next thing I see is like a week or two later, I'm working in the school. I, I'm a teacher and a tutor in the high school and the GED program. I'm, this guy's in school. And I go, wow, this guy hadn't done anything for better part of a year. Well, he's in school and he's wanting to learn. And the next thing I know, he's coming to various different religious groups, activities and everything. And this guy stood up for himself and he does, he, he, I never got to know him. What I found was he had a desire to live, which he probably didn't even recognize until his life was held almost literally with a knife at his throat. And then he chose to live and he fought. And he, he, he started to change. And I don't know whatever happened with him. You know, there's a lot of separation in prison and you don't get to see where people go and what they do. But I do know within a year, he was in a far better place than he was. And I think that's kind of symbolic for people everywhere. Um, I was talking at a treatment center a couple of years ago, and there was a young woman who sat in there and listened to everything I said with arms folded and knees crossed. And she had this defiant look. And at the end of it, um, they asked if anybody had any questions and she just stared me down. And I waited because I could tell she didn't want to talk. And I waited and everybody left. And then she unfolded and she goes, there is no God. And she just looked me right in the eye and says, there is no God. And I said, well, sister and I call you sister because I do believe there's a God I know there's a God for me I'm not here to force my beliefs on you but I am here to tell you that you have worth and that you're someone and whatever your truth is seek it and whatever you want to become in life fight for it and you will find God in the process and sister, I know that God is real and that he loves you, and so do I. And I looked her in the eye, and all of a sudden, a little tear came. 
And she goes, I don't know if I believe yet, but I, I'm willing to try. And she hugged me. I believe there's something inside all of us that just needs to feel acknowledged and feel safe. And when we start to feel that, then maybe we start to allow a little bit of room for the God. Maybe it's even the God that we feel like we so disappointed or the God that didn't protect us when we were so vulnerable. You know, we don't know everyone's stories, but that's the part of being human that I think connects all of us. And it's our job is, is simply to acknowledge that and nourish that in one another. One quarter of his life has Mark spent incarcerated. Portions of his free history plagued with addiction, the condemnation of himself, the consequences of his actions, and the isolation of a loneliness grown from turning away from a love that was far beyond himself. Yes, indeed, Mark is an imperfect person, like I said earlier, just like you and I. Yet a valuable contributor he is, for in overcoming his very troubled past, he has ignited a lantern, even a lamp each of us can focus towards seeing the impact our personal experiences offer the world around us. And whether pained or blessed, or for better or for worse, and in facing them head on, could it be that Mark is connecting us in an outreach he calls, nourishing one another? Mark shares a telling story. Our son went to a local elementary school and I got to coach his baseball team out of school and stuff. But at the beginning of third grade, he came home and said, Dad, there's this awesome assembly and you get to come with me. And I said, okay. And we went, I think it was like the next evening. It was entitled Watchdog Dads. But you walk in and they're thumping this rock and roll music. It was uh, the Survivor's song, Eye of the Tiger, you know, the Rocky theme song. And they're giving out free pizza and free Coca-Cola. And after a couple of pieces of pizza and a couple of Cokes, I'm ready to sign up for anything. Let's get this ball rolling. What is this Watchdog Dads? Well, Watchdog Dads is simply a program where they invite the dads to come and volunteer at the school, walk the halls, be out on the playgrounds and the lunchrooms and volunteer in the classrooms, wherever they want to go and wherever they're needed. And I said, yeah, let's do this. And I'm filling out the application and I get to the last line of the application. It said, background check required $20. Felons need not apply. And it was in black and white, they wouldn't let me. And do you know how that makes a dad feel when he can't do something with his son? And uh, it was really deflating. And, you know, we got over it. But the next year in fourth grade, the same assembly, this is your year, dad. I go, okay, go get the form, bring it back. It's the same form. I said, don't you remember? This is the same form. Those are the same words. Felons need not apply. He goes, dad, no, dad. He goes, I know that's not right. You're supposed to do this. And it's that same gut-wrenching, feeling like I'm not enough for my son feeling. And a couple days later, I'm driving, and I get a phone call and it's his principal. And uh, she goes, your son was just in my office this morning. And I go, uh-oh. So I pulled over to the side of the road and I go, what happened? 
And something kind of shifted. She goes, no, Mr. Miner, your son said uh, he wants you to be a watchdog dad. And I told him it's not too late. And here's the form, bring it back with the $20. And he goes, my dad's been in prison before, but he's not that man anymore. And something had shifted in her voice. And she says, you're the kind of dad we want in our school. You've already been approved. I've done my own background check. Now you still owe me the 20 bucks, which made me start laughing and stop the tears just for a second. And I heard God speak and said, do you know those labels you've hung on yourself for all these years? Ex-convict, alcoholic addict, even if, if in recovery, not good enough, less than, never will measure up. And I said, yes, Lord. He goes, you might try some of these labels now. You are a dad. You're a coach. You're a husband. You're a citizen. You're a businessman. You're a missionary. And you are mine. And those truths landed fully in that God hole. And in fact, they kind of put a Teflon, a spiritual Teflon coating I could use those words to say that don't allow the shame to reattach quite so readily these days. Because I know who God is for me. And I know how he feels about me. And I think that's enough out of me for today. Wow, Mark, thanks for being so vulnerable with us today, and you couldn't have come at a better time. Everybody out there, I've taken a little bit of time off from Sidewalk Ghost, but I promise I'm back now. Had a few things I had to deal with personally, but now we're back in the game, and you can look forward to regular Sidewalk Ghost episodes, as well as everything that's gonna be coming with it on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and all the other social channels out there. So please be with us, follow us, Help us to grow this message that I think and I'm hoping and praying is touching the hearts of a lot of us out there. If you'd like to share your story on Sidewalk Ghost, you can reach out to me. Go to my website, sidewalkghost.com. Navigate to the podcast page on there. There's a form you can tell me a little bit about yourself or even easier, just throw me an email. Say you heard this episode and you'd like to share your story. Um, I'm all in on Sidewalk Ghost and funding this myself, get a little bit of help here and there, but if you can go to the Patreon site, even a dollar helps a ton. That's at patreon.com forward slash Sidewalk Ghosts. I'm still seeking sponsors or that one special sponsor, so if you'd like to be part of Sidewalk Ghosts, reach out to me, give me a call, give me an email. I know we can do a lot together. And please, for all of us, never forget, your individual impact truly does matter to someone else in the world.